Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our very special guest is Dr. Ann Hendershot. She is professor of sociology and director of the Veritas Center at Franciscan University in Steubenville. She is also the author of Status Envy, The Politics of Catholic Higher Education, The Politics of Abortion, and The Politics of Deviance. Uh, She is also co-author of Renewal, How a New Generation of Priests and Bishops Are Revitalizing the Catholic Church. And today we're going to be talking about her most recent book. Uh, It's The Politics of Envy, and it's a great book. And thank you very much, Anne, for joining us today. Thank you. I'm happy to be on your show. You're in a great place there in Denver. I've actually written about that wonderful diocese there, all the wonderful people there. I know so many. I have so many friends there, so it's great to talk with you. I'm happy to be on your show. You know, it's interesting being in such such a liberal city that have so many Catholic apostolates here. It's a great dichotomy. (laughs) It's amazing to me. (laughs) It really is. And, you know, this book that you've written about envy— I mean, I don't think you could have made it more timely if you knew what was going to happen in the future. Oh, you aren't kidding. Well, I kind of knew what was going to—not that I'm a prophet <laughs> or anything, but I saw it going in a really bad place. Um, well, I've been seeing it for several years, but yeah. in the past two years, so much talk of envy with um, with the Democratic primary, um, so much of a, a an appeal to envy. There's rich people. They're taking everything you have. They don't deserve it. They're stepping on you to get what they have. Every one of the Democratic candidates for president were using that rhetoric, and I was getting alarmed about it. And so that's why I wrote the book. I started it about a year and a half ago. Well, and rightfully so, right, because we're basically living in a world of cultural Marxism where we pit, you know, races against each other, genders against each other, classes against each other. And so, you know, I really uh, appreciate uh, in the beginning of the book, you talk about uh, envy, but you talk about how envy is different than jealousy. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think (laughs) it's kind of nuanced, but people do use the terms interchangeably. Yes, they do. And jealousy, I don't want to say it's a lesser, because it's just a different kind. of Envy is a very serious sin, because it wishes ill of someone else. It wants. It isn't so much that you want what that other person has, it's just that you don't want them to have it. We see envy with um, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, the people who are envious of what she has, seven children, a loving husband, a deep faith, and a relationship with Christ. People are very envious of that, but they wouldn't say they were envious. They would never say they want that. They scoff at it. They're not envious in that they want it. Jealousy is different. That's wanting something that someone has, and usually in a love relationship or being afraid you would lose something. So you're jealous of someone who might steal your lover away or your boyfriend away. Right, right. Um, we've all felt jealousy, pangs of jealousy. We talk about sibling rivalry, and in some ways it's, there's some jealousy involved. I mean, sibling rivalry of envy is Cain and Abel, you know, being so envious of Abel's sacrifice that you have to kill him. It's not that you wanted to be able to do the sacrifice. Cain was very, very obnoxious about that. Um, and so that's true envy. Right. Jealousy is different. And it's, I don't want to say it's a positive thing, but it, it's a sort of a, a thing that says, 
you know, I'm afraid I might lose this. And that's why it gets the attention it gets. But envy is ugly. Well, and I mean, and we're seeing it everywhere. I mean, you just mentioned, uh, you know, Amy Coney Barrett, who was just, you know, installed as a Supreme Court justice. But, you know, when we were listening to the hearings, it was ridiculous. And you actually wrote an article, Hell Hath No Fury, like a female Democrat senator scorned. I mean, they were all scorned. I mean, it, it was it was almost embarrassing. It, it was actually better when they did cardboard cutouts of themselves later on because we didn't have to listen to them. You're right. I, I almost felt sorry for them because they reminded me of Dante's poor souls in hell. You know, when he blinded the envious, uh, Dante had the souls who are suffering from envy being blinded. Their eyes were were sewn with wire so that they couldn't see. And Amy Klobuchar, Senator Amy Klobuchar, seemed so envious when she said, I should be sitting in that seat. I thought I would be sitting in that seat. It was so haughty. And then Maisie Hirono, Senator Hirono. Oh my gosh, what a clown that lady oh, is. She was, but she had this this high moral tone to herself saying that correcting the, <laughs> correcting the justice on sexual preference. So we don't say that, those of us who are enlightened, you know... <laughs> They even changed it. They even changed it. The next day, they changed the definition of that. In the website, no. Can you believe this? And then, then I heard, you know, during the during the vote the other day, uh, she didn't vote no. She voted hell no. Did you hear that? Of course. Yeah. Well, they like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Satan must be having a good old time with this. But yeah, I just thought the the contorted faces, the rage. The bearing their teeth, honestly, I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but those female senators, they just couldn't get enough of this, could they? The anger and the rage, and I think they're envious of the love that Amy Coney Barrett has in her life. Seven children who adore her, you can, and a husband who adores her, and a God who adores her, you know, that... People are very envious of people with faith, and I think a lot of the hatred that we see directed at Orthodox Jews right now in New York, I've written about that a lot. I think a lot of it is envy because of the faith they have, the love for God they have, the fathers in their families, the strong fathers. Um, You know, I guess I see a lot of envy. Maybe other people don't see it. Maybe I'm seeing too much of it, but there's a whole lot of envy going on. And we are seeing symbols of envy. Uh, the guillotine, I write about that. I just did an article. The politics of envy always ends with the guillotine. Yep. And they erected these envious former worker of Amazon, created a guillotine outside of Jeff Bezos' house, whose only crime, I guess he's, you know, he's, he hasn't committed any crime, but they want him to be killed metaphorically, I right. hope, yeah. um, because he's just too rich. Nobody should be too rich. And they're just, I think, it's a symbol of envy. Well, and, so it's know, almost like people don't want to work at achieving what they, what, they're, what they desire, right? It's just easier to tear somebody else down. You mentioned, you know, Amy Coney Barrett. And, you know, if you have those, you know, first three fruits of the Spirit, love, peace, and joy, either you're attracted to it and you want that and you'll work at it. Otherwise, you're just trying to tear people down because you feel like you can't achieve it. I'm not sure what they're thinking, but it is mind boggling. Well, when they talk about Christ, remember that his goodness was ugly to some people. Yeah. And, 
you know, his, with ugliness in some ways. I think they look at her where you and I see goodness and love and a faith that just radiates. Other people see, you know, are afraid of it. They're almost like those women almost seemed afraid of her. Now, I, I may be, you know, I may be reading too much into it, but honestly, it was chilling to me that the hostility that they directed to her. Um, they just reminded me of those envious harpies that Dante warned us about in the Inferno, where they occupied the second terrace of hell. And I, <laughs> I just saw such ugliness. I, I knew that they had sold their souls to Planned Parenthood, and she didn't have to do that. She didn't have to promote abortion to get where she is, even though they told her she had to. Every woman is told when they're young. I was told in college, we all have to support each other and keep reproductive choice in order to have careers because women in order to play an equal role in the job in the workforce that's what we have to do well she thought that was silly didn't she she scoffed at that and she didn't do that and that's what made them crazy they didn't she didn't sacrifice her soul the way they did and they know that and i think that's what's yeah, I think the truth the truth always comes back to haunt us, you know, no matter how much we try to run from it or hide it. And then when we see the truth presented to us, maybe we just have to beat it up a little bit just so that we make ourselves, you know, feel better. In the end, we don't even feel better, right? We're angry and hateful. And who wants to be hanging around people who are like that? I mean, if we were kids, we'd probably, you know, they'd get beat up in the playground for acting like that. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, you just don't you don't want to be around people who are that dark and angry all the time. And I was watching the vote last night and when they were storming out of the room, the hell no comment and the the thumbs down. It just reminded me of, you know, <laughs> Punch's pilot and that whole thing. That whole idea of thumbs down. Did you see all the thumbs down? You know? Yeah, I mean it's like watching a bunch of petulant children. It was, yes. And you wouldn't allow your child to do that. No, if my kid, if my kids would have acted like that, they'd have had a foot somewhere, and they'd have been in the room for a long time. Long time, yes, yes. Yeah, it is. It's mind-boggling. But you know, we see it. You know, we're living in you know basically a cultural Marxism, and we see the likes of Antifa and Black Lives Matters. Right? We see the anger. We see the hatred. But most of all, you know, is it's some it's interesting when you read this book, and I think anybody who reads it, and I highly recommend people read it, envy pops out at you way more than it did before you read this book. Right? You just you, you can't put your finger on it, but this book seems to do that so that it gives an explanation in terms of all the anarchy we're seeing out there. Just that anger and hatred. And you know, I you mentioned the evil one. I just picture him sitting on a sofa with his feet up on a coffee table, smoking a cigar, thinking, I can't believe these people bought this stuff. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I like that image. But I, I do I see it in so many things. Now, the Black Lives Matter movement, I I understand African-American concerns, black people's concerns, and I share them. But they're being led by really a demonic kind of ideology, that Black Lives Matter ideology. Um, It's it's dangerous. It's a Marxist, as you point out, um, a Marxist kind of thing. Tear down the family, even though they've removed a lot of that from their website. But we all have screenshots. I'm sure you do, too. But... Yeah. It's a problem. You know, deception is their method. And deception has always been the method because they can't say to people, 
in order for you to have more, we have to take away from everybody else. So they won't say that, but that's what happens with Marxism. You have to, by force, remove people's homes, property, cars, what they have. You saw it in Venezuela. Yeah. In yeah. Fact, in, yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> well, we take away their dignity. We take, you know, we redistribute wealth. We, we, we destroy the life. And then all those people who think they want it, when they get in it, are going to be really sadly mistaken because it's not going to be anything that's been promised to them. You know, one of the things I, I you know, many of the things I liked in the book, but, you, you know, you went, you had a uh, chapter on stories of envy and you went into uh, fairy tales, Right. So this right. isn't like something new. Right. I, I thought that was a clever way of bringing it out to people like, look, envy, you know, as, as you mentioned before, has been around since the garden. But even in our fairy tales, right, they're envious stories. It, it, yes. And I remember as a child and my parents warning me about, you know, wanting because I was a middle child. So, you know, <laughs> you're just you're just sort of naturally. Oh, that younger one gets everything. She's so much cuter. And the older one gets to go places. So my parents, we spend a lot of time with fairy tales, and they, they end badly for the envious people, you know, and I'm sure your listeners all know about most of them, but Cinderella is really the story of, you know, the humble shall be exalted, but those envious stepsisters, the original fairy tale is gruesome. They're so envious of Cinderella when she finally does find her prince and he finds her, and that they want to put the shoe on their foot so they in the Grimm's original edition, they cut their toes off and their heels off. Their mother does that to help, you know, the wicked stepmother, to help mm-hmm. them fit into the <laughs> Jeez, I'm glad I never read that version. <laughs> no. I get the original version and the little snippets of it in the book. <laughs> yeah, those Grimm brothers were pretty grim, I must say. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in fairy tales because how we teach our children, we, te- we need to teach them virtues, and certainly the Bible has the best, and it's all over the Bible, Joseph and his jealous, envious brothers, Cain and Abel, it's throughout the Bible, but we also find it in these wonderful fairy tales, and I give many, many, many examples of sibling rivalry that can end up in death. There are often Bible stories that are, you know, brought into contemporary life when that was written. So you see it in Snow White with the wicked stepmother, you know, who's the fairest of them all. And uh oh, here comes somebody else who's a little more fair than you are, lady. And so she's very envious and has to kill that woman. You know, that's the thing with envy. You have to destroy the object of your envy because that that object of your envy, you think is destroying you. You don't realize, you know, that you're destroying yourself. And um, that's the thing with envy. It's a double-edged sword. You're hurting yourself as much as you're hurting the object. I have a whole chapter on crimes of envy. Yeah, I was actually just going to go there, too, because you talked about the nanny murders in uh, New York City, right? I mean, the horrific uh, details of that and, you know, how envy drove that nanny to kill those children. Yeah, it's a story about a nanny a 50-year-old woman who seemed to love the children she was taking care of, who had an 8-year-old son back in the Dominican. And she became very envious of the mother of these children because the mother was had a hobby of artwork and crafts, and she would have lots of free time because the nanny was doing a lot of the 
the work taking care of the children. But the mother, there were three children. The mother was also involved picking up children after swimming lessons and ballet lessons. Well, one day the nanny was supposed to pick up one of the children after a swim lesson. They were going to meet there, and the nanny never showed up. Um, and there were two children at home that the nanny was taking care of, and the mother had the third child at the swim lesson. So the mother picked up the child and walked into her apartment building to find the nanny butchering the two children in the bathtub of the apartment in New York City. Uh, their affluent family, beautiful apartment. The mother screamed, and the you know the police finally came. The children were in the process of dying when the mother got home, but the nanny waited until she knew the mother would be coming so that the mother could experience the death of the children. And when she was arrested, she told the police, she had everything, I had nothing. And her kids had everything, and my kids had nothing. It was all about envy. And even in the courtroom, the judge agreed that this was an envious person, that that was the motivation, envious resentment. A lot of resentment and revenge stems from envy. And she was sentenced to life in prison. Um, and the mother at the sentencing said, you thought you could take away my happiness, but you didn't. My children are in heaven. I love my husband. I have this new baby. I have my children. And you couldn't take away that, and you just ruined your own life. So it was very dramatic. I've been following this story for years because I live in Connecticut when I'm not teaching in Franciscan. And honestly, that's the most chilling story I had ever heard. It almost sounds like a TV movie or something, but it's real. Well, it really and goes to yeah, it goes to show you what envy can drive people to, right? That's and that and I think that spells out the difference between envy and jealousy. Jealousy, right? Yes, because she. Even though she took care of those children and appeared to love those children, and they were so kind to her as a family, they would give her money to go back to Dominican. She seemed happy there, but she just grew in her resentment and envy. And that's what happened. When sin starts growing inside you, you know, sin begets sin. We, sin, we're told that all the time, and we don't really know what that means, but it's you know, it starts off with mild bits of envy, and then it can grow into this virulent, malign envy. You know, you, you also had a—yeah, you also had a, a quote from Pope Francis in 2014 that he tweeted, inequality is the root of all evil. And you know what? I couldn't agree—disagree with that more. Um, you know, Aristotle says the greatest inequality is to try to make unequal things equal— the world is full of inequality, right? Some are some are skinnier, some are smarter, some are faster, right? The, that we have to learn to embrace the inequality and the differences, and not be envious of them. I know, and we just don't seem to be able to do that. And Pope Francis doesn't help things in that. I mean, he says some wonderful things. He he talks about the transgender community and his concern about that, and he understands the pathology behind that, but he doesn't seem to understand the pathology behind socialism very well. I'm not saying he's a socialist. Well, he, he does have tendencies because he hates capitalism. Oh, yes. <laughs> and that's what worries me, because he appeals to envy because he's always denigrating capitalism. Um, he makes fun of trickle down. He, you know, he mocks capitalism. He doesn't realize that he's doing a bid to envy. And if there's just one area I could ask him to please stop, it would be that, because he's fanning the flames of envy with that kind of talk. 
And I understand he comes from Argentina. He, you know, Peronism was a terrible thing. And he um, had to endure vast inequality. It's easy for me to say, you know, you shouldn't be envy because I live in a, a wonderful life. I've had everything I needed. Good family. I, I, I have to understand that. But I don't understand his desire to fan the flames of envy because I think he's doing that. Well, I think he's doing it too, and I wish you'd have a chance to talk to him because I wish he'd he'd understand that. I mean, you know, this liberation theology and trying to bring it into the present moment is is a train wreck. And he does say some good things, but he does say some things that are scandalous and that and really don't do people any good. And you know, you, I I can't believe how we're already you know twenty some minutes into this. But one of the things I really wanted to hit you did a a, a great job of talking about envy of excellence in academia, right? You even get into uh, Anthony Ellison and what happened in Providence and several other locations and kind of the the mobbing, uh, the mob mentality of, of what goes on in, you know, you think a Catholic institution where you think things should be better and they're not, matter of fact, they may not even, they may be worse. Oh, I think they are. Tony Eslin, um is a friend of mine, and just I'm sure all your listeners know who this is. In yeah. fact, he did the translation of Dante that I used for this book. Um, brilliant, brilliant man. And I think he was driven out of Providence, I think out of envy. He's a very faithful man, a strong relationship with God, a beautiful family, um, just a good person and had students who loved him, who nominated him for a teaching award constantly. He was always being nominated, but never won ever, ever because faculty get to choose who wins. And I think Envy played a role and they did some trumped up charges saying that his articles were mean spirited. Um, and they weren't, but that chapter is all about the mobbing that goes on on many campuses of high-achieving faculty, people who get good book contracts or good publishing deals or awards or higher salaries or bigger offices. There's a lot of envy on many college campuses, not on mine. I'm very lucky, and I've never been mobbed, I think because I'm not like the big high-profile person that Tony Eslin was. But in my book, I give many examples of high-achieving professors and administrators who are reviled by their faculty because of envy. And I don't understand why it, academia is a place for this, but it is. And I'm not the only person to point this out. Uh, there's a great book called Envy of Excellence. Um, and it's written by a, a man who was in the seminary. And he said that people who believe in original sin understand this better than others. And it's true. <laughs> We all are fallen, and we all can... I mean, I find pangs of envy when I hear that someone got a great book contract, you know, from the past, or somebody got published. Some, but I I'm try to be happy for them instead of just, like, reveling in my envy. Some people can't make that leap and try to emulate them, and that's the thing. Instead of envy, why can't we emulate? And that's what I tried, the message I try to bring in this book to be happy for people. You know, it's hard. <laughs> it's very hard, especially if you can, you know, you can succumb to envy so easily. It's it's a sin and it's like all sins. It can feel good probably when you're when you're gossiping about that person. And that's what happened to Tony Eslin at Providence. He was driven out. I mean, they 
they did rallies outside his office window with a bullhorn. Faculty were there. Administrators were there. The president refused to even talk with him about it because. And oh, by the way, the president was a priest, right? Yes, he was. He is a priest. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Is a, is a priest. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can't speak highly of him. That's for sure. But yeah, I mean, this is. Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous that that people get treated that way. But I think in your book, you've brought it out that it's everywhere in society, right? Whether it's in you oh, know, it a Catholic institution, it's in fairy tales, it's in people's everyday life, it's in politics. You know, you go in and talk about, you know, the socialism and the distribution of wealth that, you know, Senator Warren and Sanders and people like that, you know, constantly yeah. promote, yet they got all their wealth through capitalism, yet then they try to create all this envy. It's almost like, I got mine, I don't want anybody else to get theirs. Exactly. But it's because it's such a, a powerful sin. Sin is very attractive. You know, it, Elizabeth Warren saying, you didn't build that about the rich people who own things. You know, you didn't build that company. We built the roads for you to travel on. <laughs> you know, do you remember that? Oh, unfortunately, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> yes. But you're right. She's saying it from a $2 million house. And Barack Obama is saying things like that also. From a $15 million house in Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard, one of those two. Yeah, so it's easy for them to say that. But they're whipping up envy in people and causing them to sin, I think. I, I just believe we have to do everything we can to, to not contribute to this kind of sin. I, well, I have to avoid it myself. Well, I mean, I think we all struggle with it, right? Some people can use it as a motivator, right? Hey, I want to do that. Or, or you know what, you, you're not only happy for the person, but you talk and say, hey, how can I get what you have, right? I mean, there's plenty of good ways to go about seeing envy, yet we, the evil one has convinced people to go to the dark side on this. Right. Absolutely. It's saying that he doesn't deserve it or she doesn't deserve it. And that's what I think it, we saw on display with Justice Amy Coney Barrett, that she doesn't deserve this. I should be in that seat. That should be me. I'm the one that sold my soul to Planned Parenthood. She wasn't <laughs> saying that, but I'm sure she's thinking that. Probably, but can I, you imagine anybody who watched that thinking they'd want to be in an Amy Coney Barrett's seat? I would have, been, I would have rather been anywhere else but in that seat. How can people follow what you're doing, and how can people pick up this book, Politics of Envy, because they need to buy it? It's at sophiainstitute.com is the publisher, but you can also get it at Amazon. Um, they've reduced the price a little bit, which is nice, so it's only $18 now. I want to get the word out to pay attention to this, and don't let these politicians push us around this way.